Amen. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 12. Let's pray together if we can. Last week I called our church into a time of prayer, so I want us to spend time doing that each week, and hopefully you're doing that in your personal life as well. So let's bow for a word of prayer together. As you're there in your seat this morning, maybe you would say, if you have a need today or you just want to stand to your feet and spend some silent time in prayer with the Lord, I want to encourage you to do that. And I'd love to pray for you and close our prayer in just a minute. So if that's you and you need to just stand and honor the Lord and pray, please feel free to do that this morning. Lord, in the quietness of this moment, we recognize our need of you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty as we've sung. You are Lord of all creation. You're Lord of all. I pray for these friends standing today, Lord. You know their need. You know their concern. God, you know whether they need comfort. You know all those things. And I just pray that you would touch their need and meet their need. Speak to their heart today. Lord, we lift up this service. I pray, God, that today as we look at your word, we know it's alive, but I pray this morning, maybe for some of us, that it would become alive to us. And that you would speak to our hearts today. Remind us that you are Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you. It's so good to see you today. Mark chapter 12, we are going to jump right in. And as you're turning there, if you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you're here. If you're watching our live stream, uh, just to update you every day or every Sunday uh, at 11 a.m., you will see that our live stream services popping up. So we're glad that you're here. And if you'll just comment under the video and let us know how we can minister and serve you, we would greatly appreciate that. Over the last several weeks, we've been studying the book of Mark. And I'm getting excited because we're getting into the latter part of the book where finally people are beginning to discover who Jesus really is. Uh, It's taken them a while. They still don't fully understand who Jesus is. Even his disciples don't fully understand who he is. Uh, But this morning we're going to learn three things about uh, Jesus from uh, from this chapter. I know you've been studying it even more in small groups. Uh, And uh, this is one of the longest chapters in the book of Mark. And so I want to encourage you to have some discussion this morning uh, about this chapter. And you're going to be looking at other places. In the earlier part of this chapter, Jesus talks about rendering unto Caesar things that are Caesar's. Uh, We're going to be talking a little bit about that tonight as we talk about a Christian in politics. And so I want to encourage you to come back around 530. We're going to have soup. We'll be voting for your favorite soup. I've got my signs made, chowder, chowder, say it louder for my particular favorite soup. I'll be politicking. We're going to raise some money for missions and we're going to have a good time looking at God's word. So come back tonight. Uh, Jesus also goes on to talk about uh, marriage at the resurrection. And then the, the, uh, the great scribes, the religious teachers start to ask him, who's the greatest? What's the greatest commandment? 
And Jesus, a few verses previous to what we'll look at this morning, answers that question and blows them away with his knowledge, much like he did as a young guy when he was in the temple and he got separated from his mom and dad and they wondered where he was. And there he is as a young little boy teaching in the temple. He kind of blows the minds of the, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes even again in this passage. So let's look at it together. Mark chapter 12, starting with verse, verse 35. 35. Jesus, answering them, began to say as he taught in the temple, How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself said in the Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus quotes here uh, a passage in Psalms. Uh, when he says these words to them, Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put thine enemies beneath thy feet. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 37, David himself calls him Lord. And so in what sense is he, the Christ, his son? And the great crowd enjoyed listening to him. And if you look in, the, I think it's uh, uh, Matthew's account of this story, Matthew says that Jesus so blew them away by his response that people were afraid to ask him any questions. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that. I remember growing up in school where one of my teachers appeared to know everything. So I was intimidated and I was hesitant to ask a question. By the way, that's not your small group leader or your Sunday school teacher. You fire away. Fire away. Ask him some deep theological questions. All right? Like which came first, the chicken or the egg? Just fire those questions at him. Uh, but Jesus blew them away with this question. Then he goes on to continue. He says in verse 38, And in his teaching, Jesus said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury. And began observing how the multitude were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came up. And she put in two small copper coins which amount to a cent. And calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of the contributors to the treasury. For, she, for they all put in out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, she put in all she owned, all she had to live on. I want us just to see three things this morning. They're, they're actually pretty simple thoughts, but uh, three things that we see in this passage about Jesus. The first one is this. Jesus confirmed his deity with a question. You know, one of the things that we've discovered is that we've studied Mark is oftentimes when people would ask Jesus a question, instead of answering the question, he would answer with a question. I like that. Keeps people on their toes. Um... Jesus was great at making people think. And I think one of the neat things about that is that he was trying to help people discover for themselves who Jesus really was, who he really was. So he comes to them and he answers this question. And the problem here is a lot of these religious leaders at the time thought that they knew everything. They didn't think that there was any room for them to be taught anything new. Jesus challenged that thought and he asked him to actually consider something that maybe they hadn't thought about before. Because see, they were teaching that the Christ would come. They were teaching that he would be uh, the son of David, 
right? That was kind of the popular teaching, but no one had ever challenged them before that David would actually worship the Lord. How is that possible that, that the coming Messiah could be the son of David and yet the quote that Jesus pulls out from the Old Testament, which they knew, by the way, when he pulls out that quote and says to them, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put thine enemies beneath thy feet. How is it possible? Jesus is saying, how is this possible that the Messiah, the Christ, the coming one can be the son of David and yet also David is going to the father is going to worship the son. David, this offspring, is going to worship David. It was confusing to them. They didn't quite understand it. But they didn't know the end of the story, which is found in the book of Revelation, chapter 22. If you want to flip over there quickly, the last book of the Bible, the last chapter of the Bible. 22, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. The bright and morning star. So Jesus is not only the son of David, but David will one day bow at the feet of Jesus because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He was kind of sharing with them a little bit about his deity and was confirming it with a question. And over the next few weeks, we're going to see more and more people realize that this guy who has been the miracle worker that a lot of people have been following because he's working these miracles, they're going to come to realize that he is uh, changing things up a lot. And those that are more, more scared than anyone are the religious leaders and the scribes. So this is kind of the first hint to those around that Jesus is talking about himself. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the one that would redeem mankind. And he's beginning to show them a little bit more of himself but they are so fearful of asking any more questions because of his profound answers. But then when you get to the next set of verses, verses 38 through 40, we discover something even more interesting because the, the scribes are the one asking these questions and Jesus warns about the hypocrisy of the scribes. He actually condemns those who walk in hypocrisy. Now keep in mind, the scribes were the Bible scholars of the day. They were the ones that were teaching and educating people and sharing with them what the what the uh, what the scriptures had to say and yet in this condemnation really from Jesus he says a lot of things about them that that make it obvious that they don't know everything he says to them actually says to the people who are listening beware of these scribes beware of the ones who are actually supposed to be teaching you the truth of God's word beware of them it's a little scary warning if you're a scribe it would be as if someone came in here to the to the uh, auditorium today, to the sanctuary, sanctuary because we're here, right? They came into this building and they came up here and said, hey, be aware of what Pastor Jack says to you today. How would I respond? How, would, how did the scribes respond? Well, I would respond like, you know, don't, don't take everything the pastor says at face value. What had happened in that culture, and even happens more so in this culture, is everybody wants a professional pastor to tell you everything God's Word says, and that is part of our role as pastors. But there's a responsibility, if you're a child of God, to find out for yourself. And so, a lot of these people had no idea if what they were hearing was true, or what they were hearing was a half-truth, or how real it was, or was it skewed? Was it filtered through somebody else's own personality? And oftentimes it was. The scribes did that. I saw this quote this week. It's 
It says, the waters are sweetest when drawn immediately from their source. What that means is the people are getting their information about the scriptures from somebody else. I don't know about you, but I've been challenged over the last few weeks that, that for, in my study and preparation to share with you, I can use a lot of resources. Thank God we have a lot of resources if we're even teaching small groups or Sunday school. We have commentaries, we have books, we have videos, we have the internet. We have a lot of things that we can find out about the scripture. But listen, make no mistake. The best source I can get my information from is God's Word. And the Holy Spirit speaking through me as I read God's Word. And if I put commentaries or a second or third source, it just puts me further and further away from the well of living water, which is God's Word. Does that make sense? So we've got to get into God's Word. And what Jesus is saying is you can't depend solely on the scribes. As a matter of fact, he goes on to actually describe the the scholars of the day, those that were entrusted with teaching and preserving and learning and sharing the Word of God. And he gives some things about them that we should be aware of. I think it's very interesting. See if this conjures up any images in your mind of modern-day scribes or teachers of God's Word. Here's what he says. Beware of them, first of all, because they like to walk around in long robes. I left my robe at home. What he's saying there is they're hyped up on their prestige. And sometimes it displays itself with their outer dress. I was thinking about this this week and I was thinking about I was helping a ministry. This has been years and years ago, 10, 20 years ago in Alabama. Christian radio station owned by a church. And I was there, I walked in, the first guy I met was the guy who was running the radio station, and he warned myself and the friend that was with me, he said, I just want to let you know that the pastor, who was the leader of, of course, the church and the radio station, because it was run by a church, he said, I just want you to know, he ran everybody off this week, all the staff, the only remaining staff person is me in this radio station. And we were supposed to be there on the air helping them raise money. And I could tell he began to to get emotional because he said, we just packed our bags, we moved from another state here, my wife and I, we thought this is what God's wanted, and we found out that the guy that we thought was godly and going to teach us and lead this ministry is is maybe not quite what we thought. And I said, well, we'll help you however we can, because this was an all-day fundraiser on the radio for 12 hours. And I said, you just go in there, you run, the, you run the board at the station, I'll come in, I'll do what I'm supposed to do. He said, well, I, I'm the only one in here who knows how to run the, the board, the, the, the sound board, and, and fire all the CDs. Back then it was CDs and do all that. I'm the only one. He goes, I can't sit there for 12 hours. I said, don't worry, I'll jump in there, I'll help you. Well, a couple hours we did our thing, things were fine. A couple hours passed by, he gets tired. I said, go take a break, I'll do it. So I'm sitting there... And We're sharing with people on the air about how they can support the ministry and blah, blah, blah. About that time, I hear the front door of the station open. And here comes somebody. Here he comes, baby. I mean, here he comes. And not just him, but his entourage of about five or six people with him. One of his little go-boys behind him carrying his briefcase. One other go-boy behind him carrying his Bible. And I thought, oh, sweet Jesus, help me, help me, help me. He comes into the studio, did, did not even introduce himself, didn't even know who I was, didn't know I was a guest there trying to help raise money for his ministry. 
pops in the seat across the console for me at the radio station, hands me a CD, says, cut five. I was like, okay, cut five, all right. Reached over there, I opened the CD player, I put it in, he goes, turn my mic on. It was the song ends, I'm ready. I was like, okay. Whole time I'm thinking, buddy, you, you haven't even introduced yourself. You don't even know who, I don't work here. I'm a guest here trying to help your ministry. So I put the CD in. Well, the CD miscued and it played the wrong cut. So he has his headphones on. He throws the headphones down. Walks out. And I'm just thinking, wow. And you're a pastor. You're a pastor. You probably are wondering, what's the rest of the story? Come back tonight. No, no, no. Luckily, my friend met him out in the hall, along with the general manager, had a little word with him and said, you don't know who you're talking to. This guy is a guest that came here to help us raise money. I don't know if he apologized to the general manager or not, but he he left. He never said another word to me. He got his team and he left. That guy left, the general manager left the station the next week. He's like, I'm out of here. When I read these verses of Scripture, for me... As one of the pastors here, it puts even more weight and responsibility on my role. Because we have a big responsibility. We have a trust of a lot of people and people in the community. So Jesus is saying, beware of these people. Not only their long robes, he says, but they have these respectful greetings that they want in the marketplaces. In other words, when you walk by them, much like this entourage came in, I guess when this entourage came in the station, they expected me to say... I'm not saying you don't honor your spiritual leaders. The Bible is clear about that. But the expectation that these scribes had and what they were focused on was completely wrong. And Jesus is calling them out in front of all these people. It's pretty embarrassing for them. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, there's a group of people there that are listening to Jesus teach. The scribes are standing there, and Jesus is basically going, you walk around with your long robes, you want all these fancy greetings. You've gotten totally unfocused from what it should be. Not only that, but you want, in verse 39, the chief seats in the synagogues. In other words, you want the front seats. You want first in line at the Cracker Barrel. You want the first seats. You want the privilege and status because you're a scribe. If you read God's Word, God's Word actually teaches the exact opposite of what these scribes were living. That if you want to be a leader, Jesus said the first will be last and the last will be first. You should be a servant of all. That's what Jesus said. So he came in and really talking about turning over tables, which we talked about last week. He's turning over some major tables in their heart and in their mind because it's like, no, wait a minute. You're telling all the people we're not all that. Even though they already knew they weren't all that. Even though they wanted to act like they were all that. So he says to them, you're trying to act all privileged, privileged with these perks of status. And then he says this, and this really... Ooh, this really got Jesus upset, I think. You devour, verse 40, you devour widows' houses. In that day, a Jewish teacher could not be paid for teaching. So what he would do, and many scribes would do in that day, is they would use their flattery and manipulation, and they would go to the homes of widows and sit down and pat them on the hand. You just remember the church when you pass. And they would manipulate them. 
And Jesus, again, is calling them out on this. How dare you do this? You're devouring their houses. You're taking advantage of these people who have lost their spouse. And so the Jews of Jesus' day taught that teachers were to be respected. Yes, of course. But they also said they deserved more honor and respect than any other people in life. And that's not what God's Word teaches. Of course, it's interesting that it was the teachers who taught that. But Jesus goes on to say this, that those who did this, and even the appearance sake of long prayers, have to be careful with that. Because in our position as pastors, sometimes you can get up and you can just flow off some eloquent prayer, but if it's not a heartfelt, sincere prayer, then what is it? It's for show. And Jesus is saying that was some of the things that these scribes were doing. Their relationship with God was just more show than actual substance. And they thought they were spiritual because they could pray a long prayer. I want to tell you today that some of you maybe feel like if you were called on to pray, you would go, I don't know what to pray other than God help. Guess what? That's a fantastic prayer. It's a fantastic prayer. And Jesus tells them, you will receive greater condemnation. If you're in that position as a scribe, and that's your way that you choose to operate, is to do those things. To require the best seats. To want to sit in the seat of honor. When really, to be a servant of God... I heard it said this, this way, it really requires three things. It requires a cross, requires a towel and a pan if you're a servant, maybe a baby blanket, because you're supposed to be have the faith of a child. And yet these scribes were all in their uppity mindset of what it meant. To follow after Jesus. So Jesus is watching this. And at the same time, he sits down right there. And we had a map, of, I think it was last week on the screen, of this huge temple court where all this is taking place. And he sits down having this conversation. And he notices someone. Which is encouraging. That even when Jesus is rebuking someone and a group of people, his eye is looking around at everything else that's going on. And in the midst of rebuking the scribes, he sees this elderly lady come in and walk over to the box, the treasury, to put in her offering. And he sees her drop in two little copper coins. And it's interesting what the scripture says here, because it says that Jesus, in verse 41, sat opposite the treasury, observed how the multitude was putting money into the treasury. Doesn't say he observed what they put in. He observed how they put their money into the treasury. Maybe this morning Jesus is looking at your heart and mine and seeing how we are giving. Not what we're giving, but how we're giving. And the sight of this poor widow must have been a welcome sight to Jesus after enduring all these crazy questions from the scribes. And then him having to condemn them and chastise them. It must have been a pleasant sight to see this widow walk in and put her money into the box. And notice they didn't have offering plates. They had a box. I don't, 
It doesn't matter how we do that, by the way, whether it's a box in the back or an offering plate. I think one of the things that was interesting about this that I was reading with commentators about was the box provided a little more secrecy. Because you could go over to the box whenever you want and put in what you wanted to put in. So Jesus saw how the people put the money into the treasury. And I think he looks at us today when we give. He looks at us to see how we're giving. Not how much we're giving, but how we're giving. If we give with a cheerful heart. And Jesus says this. Truly I say to you that this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. More than all the contributors. Now let's talk about what she put in. The kind of uh, coinage that they had in that time was the, the denarius, which was the going rate really of about one day's labor for a working man. One day's labor. Two mites that she put in was about 1% of one denarius. So, not a lot of money. Not a lot of money. A tiny thing. The actual Greek word there, lepton, actually comes from an old English word. We say it a lot when we share this story about the widow's mite, which actually comes from the word crumb, or a very small morsel that she had. Two little mites that she had to put in to the offering. And Jesus not only commends the widow for giving these two mites, but as he assesses her gift, he says a few things to everyone watching to the disciples who are coming over by him, and as he says this to them, he says a few things to her, to them about her. And the first one he says to her is, she put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. Not just more, listen, not just more than each individual person. Jesus says her little bit that she gave was more some total than what everybody put in. Now how is that possible? Because really, financially, and as far as the currency, it wasn't. So what's he talking about? How could her two little mites be more than some total what everybody put in? He's not talking about the amount. He's talking about the heart. Because he says this. He goes on to say in verse 44, They all put in out of their surplus, but she put in out of her poverty. She put in out of her poverty. Friends, can I just share a personal testimony to you? If you are waiting to support the work of God until you have money to do it, you will never support the work of God. Some of you maybe look at your butt, well, I don't have enough money in my budget. You will never have enough money in your budget. One of the things I will be, just caution, yellow flag here, one of the things I will be challenging our whole church on and our finance team on is anything you can put on paper, you can do yourself. Why do you need God? Until we step out in faith and say, we believe this is what God's called us to do. Now, I'm not talking about getting crazy. I'm not talking about not soaking that in prayer. But if you're waiting until you have the money to support the work of God, you'll never support the work of God. My family can tell you, testimony after testimony, where we've sat down going, God's told us to do this. And you look at the checking account and you're going, it ain't there. It ain't there. But we made the commitment and it's amazing how God provides the funds to fulfill the commitment if it's of Him. Some of you may be waiting to pack your bags and go on a mission trip because you're like, I don't have the money. Join the team. Every mission trip I've ever gone on, I've never had the money when I committed to go. 
So if you're waiting on, oh, when I get the money, I'll commit. See you when you're 50, 60, 70, 80, 100, and you'll never have gone on a trip before. Because that's not the way God's economy works. God wants us to step out on faith. So when he sees this widow walk up and put in everything that she has, he looks at the disciples and says, she gave more than everybody combined because of her heart. And I love that because I think the principle he's trying to teach the disciples is he knows, keep in mind, he knows he's not just saying things to them and not going to back it up. He's identifying that she gave everything. Why? Because he's getting ready to give everything. He would never require you to do more than what he himself has not already done. And Jesus shows us the principle here that it's really not the amount that you give that determines the significance of the gift. It's the spirit by which you give it that determines the value of the gift. I know some of you dads are thinking, I know Father's Day is coming and I'm getting a bunch of tithes again. You can preach this sermon when the tithes come out and see if you still agree. But it is the spirit of which the gift is given that determines the value of the gift. But I think he also teaches us something else with this widow putting in those two mites that we often forget. It's her gift that she gives also shows us that the value of a gift is determined by what it costs the giver. If our church family, I don't know what you give, I don't know the numbers, I haven't done the math, I just know historically and generally speaking that if our church family, all of us, thought about the value of our gift and what it cost us, and we determine in our hearts, I am not going to give a gift to God that doesn't cost me something, our church budget would probably be a couple million dollars. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying you give 100% of what you have to the church, necessarily, unless God tells you. I also know the responsibility of the church is to prove ourselves worthy of the resources that you entrust to us. I know that very well. But for this lady to step up and give what she gave, she was also demonstrating, I'm not, it's interesting, she could have given just one mite, right? I mean, she's a widow, she has hardly anything. So it would have been, in my mind, I would have been like, that would have been, wow, that would have been awesome, that would have been fair. She could have come up and put one mite in, and just, and I think, you know, the response maybe from Jesus would have been, wow, that's great. You've only got two and you gave one. You gave 50% of what you have. You're a widow. You don't have a job. You don't have a husband. You don't know where your meal's coming from the next meal. That's not what she did. That's what makes her gift so valuable is that she gave everything that she had. Maybe remember the story of David in, in 2 Samuel. If you read that story, 2 Samuel 24, David basically says, I will not... Offer a gift to God that costs me nothing. And I think in our modern day North American, sometimes Christianity, because a lot of us are so extremely blessed, that we consider the token gift that we give to God legitimate and worthy and put a smile, puts a smile on His face. And it doesn't hurt us or make us uncomfortable or cost us anything. And we think us and God are okay. 
Forget the part about 10% and tithe and all that. Take all that out of the equation. How can I offer to God less than what he deserves? That's the question. A lot of times the question I ask is, how can I give enough to God to get his approval, but not have to give him anything that hurts me? Where's the line? God, show me that line so we'll both be happy. And that's not what Jesus is focusing on when he looks at the powerful example of this lady. I think here's another principle that Jesus shows us when he puts the spotlight for a moment on this lady is God really doesn't need our money. The Bible tells us he owns it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is his, Psalm 24, 1. The earth is his and everything in it. It all belongs to him. If God needed our money, then how much we give him as far as the amount would be more important than our heart. So he doesn't need the money. Instead, it's our privilege to give to him and to partner with him. To be co-laborers with the creator of the world. So this woman, we know, was poor because she was a widow. She had no husband to help her. Maybe it's significant that Jesus puts the spotlight on her. I don't know if this happened or not. But maybe he put the spotlight on her because he's just been chastising the scribes for taking advantage of widows. Maybe they were taking advantage of her. I don't know. But he chastises them and then he goes, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Speaking of, disciples, come here. See that lady right there? Wow. She really challenges that mindset that I'll give when I have more. Because she virtually had nothing and yet, yet she was a giver. So today as you think about those three things from this chapter of Mark, just a few questions that came to my mind this week. Do I recognize Jesus as Lord of all? That He is the Messiah. He has proven His deity and will as the story unfolds more and more and as we get closer to Easter and Passion Week and we see Him share more with His disciples and then of course when He's arrested and the crucifixion comes and they come to take Him away. Do you recognize that Jesus is the Messiah? I'm grateful to be one of the pastors at Crossroads, but I would, I would tell you today that you need to be in God's Word. You need to feed yourself. If you've been a child of God any amount of time, that is the next step from, for, for, for growing as a disciple, is to start feeding yourself. And the last thing I would say is, what would your response be today? Would it be like that widow who could not give a gift to God that didn't cost her something? Because she recognized that God had given her everything. Will you pray with me this morning? Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for what you're teaching me as we study through the book of Mark together. Lord, I don't know what your spirit is saying to hearts this morning. But God, I believe you're speaking to our church family. I believe you're speaking to me. Either you're Lord of all or you're not at all. There's no in between. So maybe someone here today just needs to, in the privacy of their seat or to stand or come down here and grab my hand or Heath's hand and say, today I need to make him 
receive him as the Lord of my life. Maybe for others today, we need to make a fresh commitment to, to go into that stream of living water ourselves, feeding ourselves. Maybe for some of us today, as we look at what the widow did, you would challenge our heart to be a giver. To be a giver. Lord, I don't know what your message is to each person in this place, but I pray now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. As you're sitting in your seat, hopefully you're praying together this morning. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of invitation. And we call it a song of invitation because it's an opportunity where God is inviting you to respond to his word. Not to the preacher, but to his word. And so this morning, if you need to come down and grab my hand, I'm going to ask Heath to join me. If you want someone to pray with you, there's some chairs around the walls and even up front if you need to come pray. But if there's a decision that you need to make for the Lord today, I pray that you would be obedient and let him have his way in your heart today. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing this song of invitation. You feel free to respond as God leads in your heart today.